Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 58 of the Built on Purpose podcast brought to you by Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Scouts, where we find purpose aligned and performance proven leaders. Today, our guest is Eric White, CEO of Right Brands, which is a vertically integrated hemp and CDB, CBD company that owns the farm, the processing, and the customer facing brands. Eric and his portfolio of companies are blazing new trails in the cannabis and CBD industry. In this episode, Eric talks about what, what type of CBD to take, how to take it, the amounts to take, and all the stuff that everybody would want to know about CBD. Enjoy listening. Eric, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. Thank you, Max. It's a pleasure to be here this afternoon. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, you've been in the CBD and cannabis industry since 2014. I want to talk about your personal journey and getting to the cannabis and CBD industry, if you don't mind, just kind of talking about your background and kind of how you got into the industry. And then we'll get into some more specific uh, questions related to the CBD and cannabis industry. Yeah, sure. So I got into the industry in 2014 on the heels of Colorado legalizing recreational marijuana. And I got into the industry on the investing side. I was working with Rockies Venture Club. We were helping other companies raise capital and we we were getting a lot of inbound interest in raising capital for cannabis companies and you know this is 2014 there was very little diligence being done so we put together a conference called the Colorado Cannabis Capital Conference it was the first of its kind and through that I got exposed to the cannabis industry in general um, it was a great opportunity to kind of meet who the players were this is back in the days when Breckenridge Cannabis Club was on TV. Everybody thought it was like an all cash business. And all we were trying to do is bring some sort of actual methodology to evaluating what some of these companies were looking like. And so from there, I springboarded, went to the CBD side and, and um, leading a brand. Awesome. Well, I had the privilege of talking to you, obviously. I don't know that that was about a month ago for, as an intro call. And I asked if you have had any hesitation getting in the cannabis and CBD industry. And I loved your answer because of your background, you know, from Wall Street. So when I asked that question, I mean, what, what I don't remember exactly the way you paraphrased it, but how do you answer when people are like, hey, were you hesitant in getting into the industry? Uh, what, how do you answer that question? Oh, not at all. Like I, I came from a highly regulated industry to begin with on Wall Street, right? And, and when I joined the cannabis industry, it was interesting because having that background, working with brokers, working with, you know, levels of trust that were sometimes uh, less than there. Um, it, it certainly taught me a lot and, and prepared me, I think, very well for, for forging a path in this industry. Like, I mean, when you think about cannabis, you're talking about it's an agricultural product that will eventually be a commodity, traded as a commodity. You've got the intersection of of you know the need for growth capital, all those interesting sort of things converging right now in this brand new industry. Got it. And I'm going to ask a few questions. I, I you know, I'm, I'm our entire company is taking courses through Greenflower, and so we we know a lot about the cannabis industry. And there's not as much information about CBD at this point. But I'm going to ask some like general questions just because I think the person listening to this 
uh, probably has these types of questions. I know some of the answers to them, but I, but I'm also curious as to how you'll answer, but uh, what do you tell people that are hesitant to recognize CBD as a beneficial product? Like, I know your, your kind of tagline is we, uh, you know, we make products that help you live better, but just from like the, the biggest skeptic, when they think about CBD and, you know, somebody that knows nothing about it, how, what's the first, you know, kind of talk tracks that you get on to start introducing it to somebody as a beneficial product? The data is there. I mean, I can't say we don't have 15, 20 years of research that can back up the fact that it's an anti-inflammatory, that it can help with certain neuro um, things. You know, so the first thing I say is, look, I take it, right? I, I take it. Um, the evidence is there when you talk to people anecdotally that it helps them beyond what I would call just a placebo effect. The National Institute of Health has been studying cannabis for a long time. And so this isn't a new drug. It's just a newly legal drug. Part of the reason it's newly legal is because we're, we're attacking things like pain management, which forever have been owned by the pharmaceutical industries. You know, but if when, when people are skeptical about CBD, you know, have you tried it? You know, if not, why not? And let me give you a Rolodex of 30 stories from people who've said, our product has absolutely helped their lives. And if you don't, you know, talk to them, ask them. Got it. And on a scale of one to 10 from uh, like industry maturity, one being infancy, 10 being mature, obviously you'd be an expert. Where would you rate like where the industry is currently at uh, in, in the maturity kind of uh, like kind of life cycle? I'd say maybe between three and four. Got it. So we're, we're just getting started. That's kind of what I anticipated, but I just kind of wanted to ask you. And then selfishly, I'm going to ask you kind of a selfish question. I was thinking about the questions I was going to ask. So I am, uh, you know, I, I am a, a, I own a supplement company as one of my other companies, but I want to understand what CBD product I should buy and why, because I've been looking into it and I'll, I'll give you some context. Um, I was told by one of my naturopath doctors, like, Hey, I should take, uh, Epsom salt baths because it'll help me hydrate my body. And so I started looking into like, well, if I'm going to take a, a Epsom salt, I want to find Epsom salt maybe with, with CBD or add CBD. But so, so I'm giving you some you know context, but what, what do you think, how would you troubleshoot uh, what I should, what kind of CBD I should be using or what products I should be using of, right? Cause I'm going to go buy some after this. And I kind of want to know, like, where would you send me to start? I mean, it's kind of a selfish question, but I think it also will give our listeners a chance to start figuring out how and what they should buy regarding the CBD. Uh, we, we get these questions all the time. That's a great question. And, and the reality is everybody's a little different. So if, I'm, if we're talking about what should you take, the first question is what kind of form factors do you prefer when you're taking your supplements in general? You know, CBD comes in a tincture form. That's the, the traditional oils that you hear people talk about, right? Then you have CBD in soft gels. So it's, it's encapsulated. Sometimes they're vegan, sometimes it's not. But the benefit to a soft gel is that it's a, the, the dose is consistent every time, right? Then you have gummies. Gummies are all the rage in the CBD world. Um, the, the benefit to gummies, similar to soft gels, but maybe has a little different taste, um, you see a lot of people adding things to the gummies and then finally you have topicals. Those are the, the main four sort of form factors. People get cute with other things like CBD gum and CBD peanut butter and CBD oral spray. But when you think about CBD and why you're taking it, you know, 
people want medicine to 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 look in like medicine, right? And, and what are you trying to solve for? I personally think that the tincture is the best opening gate into the CBD world. Reason being, when you first start taking CBD, you have to kind of meter your dose up and down to see what works for you. And the difference, between, I mean, if you start with the tincture, you can figure out what works and then you'll know how many soft gels to take because a soft gel or a two-piece hard shell capsule is traditionally 25 or 30 migs. So you're either taking 30 or you're taking 60. Whereas with a tincture, you can play with the, the dropper a little bit. You can also play with the strength. So I personally take a 67 milligram per milliliter strength dropper twice a day. And what that gives me is 67 migs in the morning and 67 migs in the evening for a total of 120. That's far more, that's better for me than trying to take four soft gels, two in the morning, two at night. Got it. And what are, what are you solving? So for me, just, it would be maybe for an anti-inflammatory because I try to work out, my body's getting older. It's not liking it as much as it used to. And then maybe just for sleep and mood is kind of what I'm thinking why I want to go start experimenting with your products. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when I, so I personally take CBD because I'm getting up there in age, I still trying to run and ski every day and CBD helps immensely with inflammation issues in the body. And inflammation is kind of the, that's what creates a lot of the problems in your body to begin with. Um, I do take it for sleep as well. I find that, you know, I track it with my sleep app. I sleep 10 times better if I take CBD at night than if I don't. And it's not because CBD naturally, it, it, it doesn't make you drowsy. It's not drowsy. It, it, it's not like a Benadryl type product. What it does is it helps relax you. And then as you get into deep sleep, you end up staying in deep sleep longer. So you get a, a higher quality sleep. And, you know, this was sort of anecdotal two, three years ago when I first got in the industry, but now you have this proliferation of sleep apps where you can actually track when you're going to bed at night, how well you're sleeping, how long you're in deep sleep, what your quality of sleep looks like. And what we found is people who take CBD typically sleep better, empirically speaking, than people who don't. We had a woman who's 85 years old in Aberdeen, South Dakota. She purchased our product from a retail partner there. She came in four days later and said it was the best sleep she'd gotten in 30 years. Got it. Yeah, no, that alone is where, who doesn't want a better night's sleep? And by the way, I wear an Apple watch. I'm about to go to an aura ring because I want to, I want to track my sleep anyway. So selfishly, I'll do both at the same time, start, you know, tracking uh, better sleep. But, uh, and I think that the Apple watch is tracking me and, and uh, basically recording everything I say, which kind of creeps me out a little bit, but we won't get into that. <laughs> um, so what, when, when a consumer is looking to buy CBD, I mean, I, I went through your guys' site, uh, awesome, legit product, but what should a consumer be looking for with, re, uh, with regard to quality and purity when buying CBD products? So the first thing you want to make sure of is that there's a third-party lab test. Like, so everything else held equal you need to make sure that the product they're selling is backed up by an independent third-party lab. So, so CBD, I mean, there's not a tremendous difference in quality or purity between different brands' products. Some brands will have more terpenes and, and, and other plant matter in, some will have less. But if you're new to the space, you absolutely want to make sure, you know, you want to look at that C of A to determine, you know, 
is it a, was it third-party lab tested? Where was the product grown? It was an importer, was it, is it domestic? I strongly urge people to, to, to try domestic products only. And then they're gonna to wanna to look at if it's a full spectrum and isolate product. Full spectrum meaning that's the oil. Isolate is when you take it one step further chemically and, and turn into a powder. But traditionally speaking, when people are talking about the entourage effect, they're talking about full spec products and the benefits you get, not just from the CBD molecule, but the interplay between CBD, the fractional amounts of THC, CBG, CBN, as well as a lot of the terpenes. Got it. And, and so I'm assuming based on what you're saying, uh, you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, you guys have a vertically integrated company for to control you know from from seed to, to sale and all of production is what i'm, I'm assuming and that's kind of how you can confirm you have a high yeah uh, a high you know quality product so when you when you're thinking about chain of custody and and how drug manufacturers make drugs and things like that they're not you, know, you can source ingredients from elsewhere but you know when you have gmp controls in you're testing those ingredients when they come into the facility because we grew it because we process it ourselves it doesn't leave our line of sight and we're still third-party testing it so we test it when it comes out of the field you're testing again after it's been run you're testing it a third time when you've created your final product and so we have this this list of tests that you can batch track all the way back to when the plant was in the field and to me that's that's important you know this is a plant-powered goodness for humans and and in our opinion the less you do to it, the better. And the, you know, if you control it, the benefit for us too, is we're able to pass a lot of cost savings on to consumers. I mean, our, our price points are far different than I think a lot of the existing retailers, but that's because we control the process from the field through the processing, through the bottling and direct to the consumer. Gotcha. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, we're going to jump into a little bit more of that. I'll have you expand on that, but so have, historically I'm assuming there's been a lot of bad actors in the CBD industry. Oh, it's a, like I said, I can't, so the CBD industry makes Wall Street look like a group of, of uh, what, what will I say, uh, of priests. Okay. <laughs> and so like as consumers, just because the, the, you know, the average listener will be a consumer, how do we rid the system just to make sure that they're third party labs, like you spoke of, that they're legitimate labs that have been testing these products? Yeah. So, you know, right now we're in this ambiguous regulatory framework and what we really need is Congress and the FDA to get together and say, here's the rules that everyone needs to play by. And the challenge we have right now, to your point, is there's probably 3000 brands out there. Now, the people who run it for the long haul are doing it correctly, right? So your bigger brands that are looking to get to get their products into Albertsons and Kroger's and CVS and Walgreens. We're following those rules that are set out by their compliance. Um, we're good at self-regulating. You've got other brands who are not long-term players. They're just looking for a quick payday. You don't know if they're making it in their garage. You don't know if they're making it, you know, it's getting it all from a third party. Are they testing it when they get into a third party? Think about that you're putting this in your body and ingesting it, right? Wouldn't you want to know that the person who is making your product tested it before they bottled it and sold it? And not everybody's doing that. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. It's kind of yeah, like I mean, the supplement business, uh, you know, in a way it's, it's from your standpoint of the business world, you want regulation, but you don't want it over-regulated to sl- slow your you know, the, the ability no, to grow. You don't want over-regulation, but like there's, I come from a highly regulated world to begin with. And if you embrace regulation, all you're doing is benefit. I mean, they the need to put consumer needs first. Right. And that's kind of what the FDA's job is to do. And that's to limit claims that can be made. And that's, that's what, you know, Department of Ag's jobs are to do is, you know, make sure that what consumers, what's being grown in the field is safe for consumers to ingest in their body. And that's where these regulatory bodies are super important to this industry. Got it. Got it. We're going to go back to the industry too, but I want to give you a chance to uh, talk a little bit about right brands. Cause again, selfishly, and I'm not just saying this because you're on, but I'm, I'm going all in buying CBD and figuring out what dose works for me and, and checking out the benefits uh, right after this. In fact, I was on your site before just kind of eyeing it, but uh, look, give me a snapshot of where right brands is today. Like what products are you most excited about? Like, just give me a snapshot of kind of where you're at today. Uh, Cause I want to highlight, you know, kind of right. Brands yeah, as so, a company. you know, I, I joined Right Brands in 2020. We launched our first products in August of last year. I came from a very large player in the CBD industry, Balanced Health Botanicals. Um, I moved over to Right so I could basically launch this brand in the vision of what I wanted to be, which is a brand truly for consumers. We've launched five tinctures, six tinctures to date. I'm launching three gummies this month. We're launching soft gels in a month and a half or two and topicals in and around that same time frame. We started just with, with tinctures because that to me is the easiest form factor for people to understand, right? And one thing we're doing with Right is just trying to keep it really simple. You know, so where we're at with Right is we're trying to meet consumers where they're at. You know, here in Colorado, most people, you know, people have been around CBD for quite a long time. Um, I'm trying to reach out to customers who've never heard of it or just getting into it. And, and, you know, with right, we, we did a national campaign last year with in parade magazine and TV guide. Um, yes. TV guide still exists. Uh, <laughs> first for women, women's world, just trying to meet consumers and just educate them on here's what CBD is. Here's what it potentially could help you with. Got it. Yeah, I know that I, the, the addressable market's probably huge. And then as people get educated, it's just going to continue to, you know, to, to get bigger and bigger. What is your uh, view? And I know you've talked about this. You and Scott have talked about this too, because him and I, uh, Scott kind of introduced me. He's on my team, introduced me to Eric. And uh, what is your view on where the CBD market is headed and where it will end up? Because I know you have some, uh, some very uh, really good insights and uh, so I want, kind of want to hear that, it, you know, price points, retailers, just things like that. Yeah. Give me, give me kind of the, the, I think we touched on this and then Scott and I talked about it, but I'd love to hear you go through yeah, it so, so the, the audience can hear. What you have right now is a very fractured market where there is, the prices are all across the board. And that's sort of because of the newness, I mean, this industry didn't, didn't exist five years ago, right? And so you've got this new product, there's limited supply at the beginning. And some of these brands figured out they could charge really high prices for this product. Well, five years later in 2021, you know, we've achieved economies of scale in growing the product, processing the product, bottling the product. And and what that means is prices are going to come down for consumers. And when you think about where the CBD industry is going to end up, 
I mean, you're in the supplement space. People just, you don't walk into a Kroger or a CVS and see a 60 to $100 product on the shelf, right? right. And if you want to help people, you have to make it so they can actually afford it. And, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and we were talking about this. A lot of people out there really need help. And, and you know, be it physical, be it, you know, just because they need to relax a little more, they're, they're stressed. And so if you're trying to help people, you know, I, I see the market moving to a point where you have to make it affordable for that help for them to be able to, to try it, right? Sure. And so, you know, I, I see price points coming in. I mean, we're, our, we're priced about half of the national brands and, and there's still enough margin to be made throughout the entire supply chain for having to make money. I see prices going that way. I only see it further, uh, you know, once you have this regulatory framework in place, you're going to see the Kroger's of the world, uh, you know, all the big box retailers in food drug mass jump in. And, and that's when you're going to see this increased level of competition. And I think more migration to buying products in store, like most of the health and beauty category, as opposed to online. Got it. And I, random question. This just came to me like right before I got on here. When I was uh, on my search for Epsom salt with CBD, which I'm just going to go tension route after hearing directly from you, but I noticed that Amazon doesn't sell CBD at this point, which I thought was interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize that until I actually searched uh, myself. And then I also read, read an article today where Amazon is, um, they are not going to drug test for marijuana in their internal employees. So there, there's a big shift going on. Uh, in the market, but, you know, I just kind of wanted to get, you know, your thoughts on, do you see big shifts happening to me? That's just a, I'm just a normal consumer, like looking at it. And I'm like, this stuff is this, these are big moves well, in my opinion. That all goes back to that regulatory framework I was referencing earlier. Amazon doesn't sell it because the FDA hasn't said that a CBD can be a dietary supplement. And so if Amazon were to sell it, that transaction would happen, would go through the pipes of the financial system, which would then br bring it in violation of interstate commerce. This is the same reason you don't see CBD in all the major national retailers is it comes down to basically credit card processing and the retailers not wanting to risk losing their credit card processors. So, you know, we're in this industry where you know, I'm paying five to 6% in credit card transaction fees per transaction, which is considered high risk. It's just brutal. Yeah. You know, where it goes, you know, Amazon does, I, I'll just note this, Amazon sells what they call um, hemp oil or extract. And the problem there is nowhere on the label does it say what you're actually getting. And so people are paying for CBD, but what they're actually getting could just be oil from the stock, which is, I mean, you're better off to just go out and eat a teaspoon of dirt. <laughs> Got it. Got it. And let's get into, you started to touch on um, uh, what's been the most challenging part of building a new company and a new industry. Like obviously 10 years ago, this didn't exist, you know, five years ago in, you know, just getting out of the gates, but from somebody that's building a, you know, a, an awesome company, like what, what have been, you called, you talked about payment processing, what other, you know, challenges and what other opportunities exist when we start thinking through uh, some of these challenges? Oh, that, that's a great question. There's, there's so many. I mean, when you're building a company, first, it's you've got to find good people to come work for you. And the challenge you have is 
no one has 10 years experience in the CBD industry. Some barely have two. I'm considered a, 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 an aging veteran with my six. You know, obviously there's people who've been, you know, and selling marijuana in high school doesn't count, right? So just, <laughs> you get people that, oh, I've been in the industry 20 years. Okay, your little grow in your house doesn't count. Right. You know, so when you're building a team and you're trying to put together, you know, mission, values, purpose for a company, you're in what's one of the most competitive spaces right now in all the health and beauty category. So you got 3,000 brands. Everyone's looking for attention. And that oversupply of brands creates, uh, you know, an issue with marketing for marketing dollars, right? So you're trying to balance being fiscally conservative, finding the right team to come in and execute. But then you say, okay, you're a marketer, but you can't do any Google AdWords. You can't do any Facebook ads. You can't do like, you're limited in what you can do. And so it's really a challenge, right? Because the companies that are doing it right are trying to behave responsible, fiscally responsible. And, and there's a, a threshold at which, it, you know, certain things don't make sense. And, you know, I, again, so the company's being here for the long haul, you know, you, you just operate a little differently. I'd say that the other big challenges um, outside of the marketing, the extensive number of brands, um, just getting a team that plays together that hasn't played together before. Right. So I think I'd use this analogy with Scott. It's like an expansion hockey team where I'm going out and finding people who come from different industries and I'm asking them to come play on my team. Only none of us have ever played the sport before. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's a challenge getting, cause what works in traditional consumer packaged goods marketing doesn't work in cannabis, doesn't work in CBD and, and what worked on, you know, Thinking that people will email you back, that works in some industries, but in our industry, not necessarily. And so it's it's a challenge getting getting a team to put together who can row in the same direction, right? And 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 really have each other's backs and play for each other. Yeah, I know you you touched on some really good points there. Cannabis industry, CBD industry, uh, you know, there is so that's so new that there's companies haven't had time to build great cultures. Great cultures are built with time. And so do you have, that's what you align great employees to. And typically, you know, real talented leaders, they're not willing to go to a company that's relatively new. So you run into uh, probably a challenge where you have a lot of uh, people under 40, you know, people that are willing to make that, that change in, in their career at this point. So talk about that. I think you, you, you've mentioned, they're like the vast majority of leaders are under 40. There's not a lot of mentors for those leaders. Oh, it's tough. Like I, I'd be considered a fossil in this industry <laughs> in my mid forties. Right. But, you know, and that's part of function of, you know, when people are first getting into this, the risk of moving to this industry was dramatic. I knew when I came over from the financial world, I, I could never work in finance again, at least as an equity broker. Um, you know, when you're talking about, you, you got a lot of people, you know, millennials are great. And, and, you know, that younger Gen Z, um, even the tail end of X, you know, there's a lot of energy there, but the lack of mentorship is real. There's no one to look up to. There's no one to call and say, Hey, you've been through this before. Help me figure this out. And so, you know, it's things like that, that make it extraordinarily challenging. Um, you know, I'd say the generational divide is also different. 
you know, when I, my first job in this industry, I, I came over and I was running a sales team and everyone was doing their sales over Instagram. And I'm sitting here just going, you know, coming out of a, a highly regulated business where we tracked everything, right? I'm like, okay, we're going to implement Salesforce. We're going to implement, you know, lead tracking. We're going to do lead scores, all these things. And it was like, I was speaking a foreign language and they're just like, oh, just hit me up on the gram. And I'm like, you know, it, the good thing is you get their energy. Um, the challenge, I think, with 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 the newness of all these companies is, you know, we're all finding our way with, you know, half of a, a lantern. Right. Yeah. You know, I've talked to some other guests uh, in the cannabis industry and they have in, in, you know, indicated, and I think we see this on the hiring side and hiring leaders for our cannabis clients, that the average uh, leader in this day and age that doesn't, that comes from outside the cannabis industry, it used to be, they were afraid of if they went in, it kind of put a, you know, a, a mark on their the black, uh, mark. Yeah, black mark on their, their career. I don't think that's the case anymore. Has that, have you seen that kind of get a little easier for you to attract talent where people are more easily ready to move over into the cannabis industry out of non-cannabis? Absolutely. Uh, you know, several years ago, well, part of it was you didn't know who, who you're going to go work for if the checks would cash in six months or three months, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it, think from an employee perspective, if you're auditing where you're going to go work and they have no body of work to show you, you're just kind of going on trust. You know, attracting talent has gotten much easier. I'd say the overall level of talent in the industry has risen dramatically in the past couple of years. Um, like CW's got a great team working over there. Dini does a great job. You know, they brought in some heavy hitters from the industry. They also went public and had the capital needed to bring in that type of talent. Um, I don't think you're seeing that as much elsewhere, but you don't commit to coming in and, and running a hemp company from Pepsi unless you feel like you can go back to CPG at some point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. What's your opinion on uh, the diversity challenge specific to the industry? Oh, it's tough. I, you know, part of the, the challenge is we're, you know, so many companies are headquartered here in Colorado where we're already um, probably not as diverse as other areas of the country. Right. And, and, you know, specifically, you know, there's not many female leaders in the space relative to, you know, if you look at, if you index against the S&P or you index against the, the FTSE or, you know, um, even the Dow, you know, you just, you don't see a whole lot of, of in the cannabis industry, nearly as many female leaders as you do in some of those other areas. And I think the, you add in the component of African-American, Hispanic, I think the Hispanic market is un, untouched right now and ripe for growth but you just don't see many Hispanic leaders in the CBD space. I mean, if, if, if you look through the, you know, at, at the different companies and, and who's been very successful, it's predominantly white guys who moved over from another industry. And, you know, I, I just think that the more we can hire uh, a more diverse talent pool, the better it's going to be for everybody. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. What about, uh, tell us your, I know you had some good thoughts on this in our prior conversations. Uh, tell us your viewpoint on the demand for CBD and cannabis products relative to supply at this point. Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember what I said, but I will say 
right now the demand is sort of stagnant. Uh, the, the demand, you know, all the early adopters came in in 2017, 18, 19. These are people who found CBD because they were looking to treat something specific. Okay. Since 2019, we've seen that demand curves kind of flatten off while the supply curve has grown exponentially. Uh, there may have been 50,000 acres grown in 2015. There was 500,000 acres grown in 2020. So you've got this dramatic increase in supply. You've got demand, which has sort of stayed stagnant. And that's simply because, you know, we, we're not able to sell in food drug mass. And, and so to buy CBD today of the ingestible form, I have to find a consumer and drive them to go to my website. It's a whole lot easier to get them to see my product in the store and purchase it than, than otherwise. But those who are, you know, we've also seen demand for CBD increase in areas where they're very focused on education, where they have buy-in from the medical community. Got it. And is there... Is there a lot of education coming out? Uh, and the reason why I ask that is me and my team, we're, we're taking the green flower courses to learn, you know, from A to Z, you know, we, we feel like we know a lot. We've been playing in the industry, but we want to make sure that we learn a lot, but I, I still feel like there's a shortage. Uh, and I don't know if this is just with green flower at this point with the, the information they give on CBD compared to THC, it just seems like there's so much more data. Uh, that's accessible. So is there going to be more data that, that is accessible soon or what, what is it looking like? Or, or is it just, I'm not looking in the right places. So there's a lot of data coming out of Israel and some other countries on CBD. The reality is CBD. I mean, you couldn't even grow it to test it, to put it into a clinical 10 years ago or five years ago. Right. And so like people weren't growing CBD plants, which are, you know, basically a, a, a near cousin, a distant cousin, THC plants, and then testing for efficacy, for bioavailability and other things. And so what you have, I mean, research costs a lot of money. I think in five years, we'll, we're going to be in an entirely different place as far as what we know about this plant, what each cannabinoid can do, what the bioavailability is from each form factor. But that's, it's still kind of years down the road because you have to get enough people to believe in the product to take a clinical in the first place. Then you've got to get some pretty big dollars behind those clinical trials where people are drawing blood and responding and so forth. Um, we're sponsoring a study and with CSU on the animal side, because people are a little more, you know, typically will speak more about their animals and their own personal health. <laughs> right. So that's interesting, but you know, yeah, I mean, the industry is lacking from a, certain questions like what are the drug interactions with this drug or that drug if I'm taking heart medication or if I'm taking a steroid? That's just not out there yet, right? Uh, the other challenge you have with education is people are very careful with what they say or put in print. So you can colloquially say, you know, for me, it helps me with my, with um, anti-inflammation, right? But I can't say CBD is an anti-inflammatory. You know, if you're looking for education, though, you know, Project CBD, uh, Martin does a great job with that site. That's a good, good place to just, you know, learn a little bit. Um, there's other resources, National Institute of Health, where people speak to CBD in very specific conditions with what they're testing it for to see what, what it'll help with. And then the other good place is read other people's reviews on any website. 
Got and, it. and, you know, people, you know, everything from fibromyalgia to, you know, arthritis to things, I can't say it's going to treat that. But what I can say, CBD has been shown to help people who suffer from certain, some of those conditions. Got it. And, and so I'm making some assumptions here in demographics. So I'm thinking, you know, a lot of older folks that have tried so many different things and now they've moved on to CBD and, and now it's helping. But what are the current consumer demographics? If you don't mind sharing, I, I don't know if this is competitive data for you, but I'm just curious oh. as to what the current consumer demographics are and then what you anticipating them being in the future. It's interesting. Right now, the current consumer demographics look a lot like a barbell. You have on one end of the barbell, the, the millennial cohort and Gen Z, and they're taking CBD primarily because they're stressed out. They're looking for ways to relax. Um, they're typically healthier than you know my generation or those that came before me. They're not really interested in coming home and having a drink every night after work. And so they're looking for healthy ways to unwind and relax. And, and they've found CBD. Um, then you've kind of got in this middle pack, you know, over 35 to 50, where you, you're seeing them get involved with it, but they're not really suffering from the same types of conditions quite yet that makes CBD a necessary daily supplement. And then once you get like to 45 or 50 and older, you're finding a whole lot of people looking for it, um, you know, because just the aging is real and, and, you know, you're a little more open to, to health and supplements and, and things that, that help you live your life better. And so you've kind of got this barbell approach uh, where it lands at the end of the day, who's to say, um, I think part of it too, is people who are in pain or if you're trying to solve for something, you're more likely to go looking, right? And that typically, you know, when I was 25, I used to hear people who were 45 talk about their knees hurt. And I was like, oh, they just don't work out. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. What, um, just kind of going to back to right. I mean, what accomplishments? And I know you, you, you know, it's been, uh, has it been a year since you started? With I started in March of 2020. We launched our first products in August of 2020. Got it. Okay. So relatively new, but what accomplishments are you most proud of so far with right brands? I know you've got a long ways to go, but I know everybody, yeah. you know, you're, you're a guy that's probably a hard charger. If you stop and just kind of say, Hey, what have we accomplished? Like, what are you most proud of thus far? You know, we, we launched a brand into the most competitive marketplace during a pandemic <laughs> in 2020. And we're able to get, you know, three to 500 new customers a month who 60% had never taken CBD before. I think the thing I'm most proud of with, with the company itself is that number, 60% of all of our consumers had never tried CBD before. So we reached and found people who benefited who wouldn't have otherwise. You know, fiscally speaking, you know, we're growing every month. Um, from a product perspective, we just won a, a best in show award for our 4,000 milligram tincture. And that was based on a number of factors, but you know, that is an extraordinary product. It's my favorite product we carry because it's, it's so cost efficient, but it also gives consumers the ability to not have to run to the store every 15 or 30 days for CBD. And, and so, you know, this next phase 
you know, we laid the foundation for growth by, you know, launching these very baseline products. And I'm excited for our next phase of growth, which is pushing into other products and really connecting to more consumers. I mean, it, we had plans to do a road show this summer and, you know, we're still kind of doing that, but we're looking at doing a 15 city tour and just stopping place to place. And, and rather than saying, Hey, buy my stuff. It's, Hey, what questions do you have? Let me answer. And, you know, I've done this in the past where you just, you know, you, you're in a parking lot, you're at an independent pharmacy and you basically say no questions too, too stupid. Whatever you'd like to know, ask me, I've heard it a dozen times and people feel comfortable. Right. And then, you know, they can choose to go home and buy our product, buy somebody else's product. I just want them taking CBD and to know that there are other options out there besides 2,400 milligrams of, of ibuprofen a day, or, you know, in the case of my son, Vivance, Adderall, all those types of things, which, you know, I, I don't think we're helping him. And now he takes CBD. Got it. Now this, the, you've been amazing. Cause I, I went into this thinking like, Hey, what does the audience want to hear? And I think most people, they look at CBD, your average person looks at CBD, like they look at cryptocurrency in a way they're like, they don't even like know where to start. So I'm <laughs> thank you so much for like, you know, talking about specific, like what you take, you know, what you recommend, the different, you know, the four different ways that, you know, that, that it's, you know, the four different ways to take it, things like that. Back to, um, you know, just because we're in the hiring world, back to hiring an emerging, in a emerging industry, what type of leaders have you found make the most, the biggest impact in, in, in emerging industries such as cannabis and CBD? Gosh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think leaders who've worked cross-functionally in the past uh, probably have a leg up over those who uh, maybe were only in charge of one certain, you know, segment in their business. Uh, there's a lot of cross-functionality in this space right now. I mean, you're, everything from finance to, you know, sale, sales and marketing, you know, that's a thing, but you have to understand product development. You have to understand lead times for those things. You've got to have your I constantly on the regulatory board over off to the side. And so people who have a, a depth of experience working cross-functionally in their company, I think turn out to be the best leaders. They're also great listeners because, you know, we all kind of have a habit of, well, this is my problem. Well, that problem impacts six other places within the company. And, and the other reason I say that is if you're going to be a leader in the CBD space, you better expect to be a player coach. This isn't one of those, you know, call it in from the sidelines and, and, and hope the play works. You're playing with your team and, and running with your team every day. And, you know, the people I think who succeed are the ones willing to roll up their sleeves and get dirty. You know, it's, uh, I always say, I don't ask someone to do a job I wouldn't do or haven't done myself. And, and that's been throughout my career. And I, you attract a different kind of leader then, right? And, and that's not to say that, you know, the guy who throws a plays in from the sideline wouldn't be good. He's probably great or she's great in her career over there. But, you know, with CBD specifically, you're talking about building a company from scratch. You're not walking into an existing tech stack. You've got to create your tech stack. You've got to figure out what, what are you going to use for your CRM? How does it impact sales? How does it impact marketing? Right. So if you have a working knowledge of HubSpot, Salesforce, an ERP for inventory tracking, um, accounting, you're going to have a leg up 
relative to other people who, you know, if you're only looking at Salesforce, Salesforce impacts four different, you know, it impacts finance, it impacts um, IT, it impacts the sales team, and it impacts the biz dev team. Got it. Yeah. No, that's, uh, it's fascinating. You know, new industry, everything's new. I mean, there's, it's, it's, uh, brings some interesting challenges and opportunities, uh, depending on how you look at it. How important is applicable executive experience versus kind of cultural leadership style fit when hiring in this industry? I know that's a tough question, but I'm throwing, I'm throwing it out. A, throw that's it a tough you. question. I, I, I think, can I differentiate? They're both important. Um, you know, I, I think people can learn to be good leaders. I think your culture, if it's bad, is just going to be bad. And so, you know, when I'm hiring for somebody, I don't necessarily disqualify them because they don't have dedicated eight, 10 years experience leading teams, blah, 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 blah. I want to know that they can come in, do the job, and we're going to be able to interact together and come to a decision. And, and, and we can create a culture where people want to work for us and work with us, right? And so, you know, that executive leadership's important. However, everyone's got to start somewhere as a leader, right? And so if we can give them an opportunity to, to, to start here, so be it. You know, I, I think that we're not at quite a point where you're managing, you know, a silo of 50 individuals in, in your company. Right now you're managing the, the company's culture and you're growing on this fast growth train where, you know, if the culture's bad, it's going to have an impact on where the company ends up. Got it. And I say that from experience. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. What, what's the, uh, speaking of experience, what, what have been, uh, and you've, you've touched on some of them. So I, I'm hearing, I'm picking up what you're putting down, but what are the biggest learning lessons you've had as it relates to hiring talent for, you know, for this industry? Oh, so the first thing is I want people to fully understand what they're getting into. I've, I've, I've made some hiring mistakes in the past where I thought they knew what they were getting into, but they didn't quite get it. The second thing I do, um, you know, uh, I've stubbed my toe a bunch of times on consultants. (laughs) And so I've, you know, I've learned maybe, I don't know what I call the hard way, but you're better just roll up your sleeves and figure it out yourself. You'll spend less time, less money. And, and at the end of the day, you'll know it as opposed to paying someone else to do it. You know, uh, hiring for people, I, the, the same thing when you're hiring a team that applies to the executive leadership circle, right? You want people who are willing to come in and do it and, and not be scared of this, that, or the other, we're all going to make mistakes. I mean, I'm a big baseball fan. So, you know, I tell myself I'm allowed to fail 60% of the time and it's still go to the hall of fame, but you know, uh, it's, it's come in and that's just any, you know, startup experience is important because you're trying to fail fast and move on. But what you don't want to do is get into that culture of fault and blame because you spend hours and hours worrying about whose fault it was instead of just fixing it and moving on. Got it. Yeah. No, super important. I'm going to move into some more personal stuff because that's what we do. Um, what are, what are some personal habits like daily rituals and routines that have turned you into, you know, kind of the leader you are and the person you are today. So I, I run every morning. Um, and when I'm running, I'm kind of getting my day organized for me. 
Um, I found it was specifically important during the pandemic to create some sort of separation between my bed and my desk, which was, you know, 20 feet, <laughs> but I was able to put, you know, three miles between it because I'd wake up every morning, run, get focused. Um, you know, I, I think that giving yourself a break is, you know, knowing, knowing when to turn on and when to shut off is important. Um, so, so, you know, whenever that is for you is when it is, but I think everyone needs a time where you turn work off and you go with your family or you go do your sport, you know, whatever it is you do, because otherwise you end up working in this advent of, you know, cell phones, email, you can, you know, the people who wake up, you look at your phone, right. And then you're starting to answer an email before you've even gotten out of bed. And that goes on for 12, 14, 16 hours in a day. And that's not a healthy way. And at the end of the day, you think you're doing your company's service, but what you're doing is burning out. Yeah. And I would listen to what Eric's saying. Uh, Cause if I remember from our first conversation, uh, he has 10 kids total between him and his wife. I have five. And I thought that was a lot. And he said, you have 10, right? Yeah. So if, man, if you're, if you're going to learn about staying balanced, uh, this is a guy, what else you touched on a lot. So I'm not, those are great, but what else do you do outside of work to keep your life balanced with, with a big family? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I have great living, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> living car. I mean, we do a lot of hiking, a lot of camping, a lot of fishing, a lot of, you know, things like that. I'm getting my first RV this summer so we can make camping easier because setting up three tents is no fun. Um, I'm an avid cook. Uh, for me, cooking, so two things, cooking and gardening are great stress relievers. Um, you know, so again, you're just finding ways to decompress in a healthy way as opposed to an unhealthy way, right? doesn't mean I don't like to, you know, stop and have a couple of drinks or whatever, but there's ways to, to, you know, overall, I think, you know, taking a good wellness approach to your life and keeping things in balance. And, and that's a good long-term strategy. Great. And, and coming from somebody that's, uh, selling CBD. I think that's the whole goal of the product in itself. So, uh, those live those better wise words. I mean, that's our motto, right? If you've been on our website, like everyone else is this long, we want to do, we just want you to live better. And we mean that. Right. And so that is our, our mission is we want to help people live better. I want to help you live better. I want to help the listeners live better. And I think I can do that with our product. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm going and getting your products right after this. That's, that's not just window dressing that's happening. Where did you get, uh, I'm curious, and I always ask people this when I get to know them personally, where did you get your competitive drive from? I mean, you've clearly had some success. Was it from competitive sports? Were you raised by parents that were entrepreneurs? Like, where did it come from? Like when you're uh, young, I, I grew up, I grew up in the seventies and eighties, like, you know, just, you just played sports. Right. And so I grew up playing competitive soccer. Um, my mom was a music teacher. I did drama in high school. You know, that was competitive. I was in choir. That was competitive. Um, you know, I, I think for me, working early was important. You know, it gave me a work ethic and it gave me guidance from people who weren't just my parents or my teachers. And, you know, and I think to some extent, people just have an inner competitiveness that, you know, is common amongst those who grew up playing sports. And that doesn't mean that, you know, sports might include, my son would say it includes his Xbox game. He's <laughs> very competitive at his Xbox but you know, so yeah, I'd say from sports. Yeah, no, I, me, me as well. I'm the same exact thing. And the only thing different about sports now is that we used to play, you know, multiple sports and now these kids have to pick one sport, which is probably a whole nother yeah, show I mean, to get into, but 
It's uh, I, I, it's wild. I played soccer decently well. I played basketball terribly. Um, I spent three games in the football squad in eighth grade. That was an epic disaster. <laughs> and then <laughs> played baseball until I couldn't hit an 80 mile an hour fastball. But, you know, we did have that opportunity to kind of, you know, pick, you know, try a lot of different things. Right. Right. And then I play sports now that I never did growing up. I mean, now I'm an avid runner, trail runner, play twos beach volleyball. Pickleball, probably. I mean, I think everybody, everybody picks up a pickleball racket at some point. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, tell me about like, and, and we're going to start, we're going to slowly start wrapping up. I like to keep these one hour bite-sized chunks. So, uh, but this has been an incredible conversation. Like you've shared so much about the industry, your personal life. I mean, all this has been great, but uh, I'm going to ask, you know, some deep, a deep question here. Tell me about an experience that changed your life. Gosh, it's a tough one. Uh, I'd say my parents divorced when I was a kid. It certainly set me down uh, a path uh, that, you know, you realize that what you think, you know, you maybe don't. And, you know, it was, it was an opportunity for me to learn more about myself. And, you know, I kind of cycle back to that later in life because, you know, when you're looking at things through a kid's eyes versus an adult eyes, it look very different. And, and, you know, it certainly some of the things I thought I knew I didn't know. Um, that also by, because of that event, I started working probably earlier than I would have otherwise. And, you know, that has served me tremendously well. And, and even today I ask people like my first question, when I interview anybody, I don't care what the resume says is what was the year of your first job? How old were you? Awesome. Good question. I was 15. I worked at Dairy Queen. So Right. That's my answer. Uh, but that's, that's, that's a big deal. Right. And, you know, so if somebody says 25 or 30, <laughs> you know, that's true. I better start telling my teenagers that to, to well, if you, if you haven't ever worked until post-college, you've lost out on five, six years of work experience potentially. And, and I learned so much just from working in college, waiting tables. Oh, me too. Um, that, you know, that, that's one thing when I see that somebody's worked in the restaurant business and, and clearly you have, if you, if you know somebody that's been in the weeds in the restaurant business, uh -huh. either as a bartender or a server, like you can connect with them that, you know, they work at a fast pace, they get it, especially if they spend a lot of time in the restaurant business. So we could go, we could talk rounds about that, but I've always hired for restaurant help because they can consistently balance competing agendas. Right. And they're usually have to be very good at customer service. And those are great skills in any industry, much less the CBD industry. I agree. It, the pace, the, the, the what I what I always think is like this person's been in a fast paced environment. Mm -hmm. What are you most What are you most curious about? Like just in general, it could be anything, personal, professional. Like, what are you most curious about this point in your uh, career here? Oh, personally, I'm curious what my kids are going to be when they grow up. <laughs> what's, what's, what is it going to look like in 2050 when, when my youngest is, is however old she is? Um, you know, it's just, you know, what's next? Uh, you know, I, I feel like we're in this really rapid pace right now of growth, not just in CBD, but just in general, right? I mean, 20 years ago, we didn't have MIDI computers in our pockets, Right. The thought of a self-driving car, the closest thing we got to that was like back to the future, right? With the little hoverboards. 
which are now basically a thing, except they don't float. They're on one wheel. But, you know, what is this going to look like 10 years, 20 years down the road? And what are we going to do as a society so that people can and still work? Right. Right. So an exercise. Yeah. I mean, just like I feel like there's a lot of shifts going on, technologically speaking, that are going to dramatically impact how the whole world operates. And we saw this, you know, we saw a glimpse of it with COVID with, you know, people were not working from home. Um, you know, I don't personally like going out to eat and ordering off of a computer, um, but that's more and more common now than it was before. So where does all this end up? Like, I like getting into a cab and talking to the, the driver, but, you know, 10 years from now, it could be all driverless. So that's kind of where I'm, you know, my big question is where does all this lead to? What does all this technology do? And is it tech not like, is it good or is it just technology for the sake of technology? Right. All right. Well, speaking of COVID, there's like, I love asking this question. I know we're, you know, getting to the point where maybe we don't look back, but what have been some COVID like, you know, kind of positives or blessings you've had, you know, with your family or personally, professionally, what, what it like, you know, clearly there has been some challenges that it brought, but what are some, yeah, well, what are some blessings? Let's start with the challenges. So you yeah. mentioned how many kids are in the house. <laughs> so, so, so internet bandwidth was a challenge. Uh, you know, relearning third and fourth grade math was a challenge. Um, you know, on, you know, good things that came out of it. You know, I, I think that we had to be more creative with how we interact with our team, you know, just at work. Right. Um, I think people got more comfortable with the, the team's calls. I still prefer a, a hybrid model where you're in the office feeding off each other's energy. But, you know, and then with COVID as well, I was able to task people with things that I probably wouldn't have otherwise and, and you know, kind of push them to 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 learn that which maybe they weren't terribly comfortable with. But, you know, because they could do it from their own home, it was a little more comfortable for them. You know, I mean, I, mean, I didn't even think of that. It was... Yeah. With 10 kids, uh, learning from the house. Wow, man, you you guys, you and your wife should get a a medal of honor, uh, to take all 10 of those kids through distant learning. Every, every time I've talked to you, I've been in a different room because I keep having to change offices. (laughs) Get to stay away from the kids because they're they're working. Yeah. You know, it's summer vacation now. So it's like, we've got two people working hybrid from home plus four to eight kids running around any point in time. Oh, I, I, I'm in here tucked away, hiding from my three-year-old, hoping that she can't get through that door right now. So I'm surprised she didn't make a, a surprise appearance. Well, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to start switching into this to rapid fire questions. Yep. Whatever first comes to mind, these are meant to be very short answers. Um, you've shared such a wealth of information about CBD professionally, personally, like it's been such an awesome, uh, awesome Thank interview. I've, I've interviewed a lot of great people and I'd put this up there with the best. And there's a lot of really great people on our podcast, but rapid fire questions here, here we come. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Take a drink of water. Awesome. What, what book have you read more than once or what's your favorite book? My favorite author is Alan first. I've read that entire night shadow series, uh, three, four times. Is it fiction? It's, it's, I, specifically world war two fiction so it's it's, it. it's spy espionage fiction first is the heir apparent john le carre is my favorite genre by far awesome what is your favorite band 
Nine Inch Nails. What's your favorite ski resort in Colorado? Winter Park. Which person has had the greatest impact on your life? My mom. What's something on your bucket list that you're waiting to check off? Oh, that's a tough one. I want to learn to sail. Awesome. Are you a morning or night person? Morning. What's uh, the most spontaneous thing that you've done lately? Uh, ran up a different hill in town. <laughs> no, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to start wrapping it up. You, you're listening to the Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen, brought to you by Y Scouts. You can find all our past and future podcasts at yscouts.com. You can also find uh, the CBD products that Eric's talking about at rightcbd.com. It's R Y T E C B D.com. Eric, I'm going to leave you the last word. Just share any uh, advice you'd like to give the audience, and uh, we'll cut out after that. Yeah, first, I'd just like to thank you again, Max, for your time. This has been a lot of fun. I love sharing uh, stories about CBD. As far as the audience goes, if anyone has any questions they'd like to learn or know about CBD, feel free to go to our website, fill out the form. I'll personally answer. Um, we just want to get as many people interested in learning about the, this plant-based product as possible. Awesome. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, thank you, Max. That was, uh... That was amazing, man. I tell you, uh, I, I really mean it. That that conversation, I literally was like, I could have talked for another 20 minutes. Like there was so much <laughs> stuff that I wanted to dig into that I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna lay off. But man, and all I'm thinking is don't swear. Like no, it's okay. <laughs> we don't we swear. We, like I I've I've cut loose. I've been swearing, I've been talking about, you know, you know, I have a, thing when I was younger, smoking weed when I was younger, stuff like that. I mean, all this that I'm talking about now is, is cut out, but uh, I, I've kind of just been letting it fly and people that are listening, especially people like in the YPO community in, in Arizona, that they listen to this, all the ep episodes, they think it's great, but man, you shared a lot. I think you're, uh, you're a very well put together business leader person, very well balanced. Like I love the conversation. I think people get a lot. And I think there's so many people that have no idea. I'm glad I, I asked very like basic questions. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Like that's the whole reason I do this is to get people to try it. Yep. Like, honestly, I could go work in a whole bunch of different industries. This one, I mean, I should send you some of these things we get. Like we're totally changing people's lives. And that's, that's a really fun thing to be doing with your life right now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. hundred percent. I'm uh I'm, I'm honestly, I'm going on there. I'm going to buy some and, and try it. And, and oh, let me just send you some. You need to buy it. I'm happy to send you a bottle. All right. Well, I'll, I'll buy some and then you can see my information and send me whatever, but I'll at least buy something. Cool. Cool. Buy, buy, buy a 500 and use a discount code. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. I will. I'll, uh, I appreciate the time. You need anything. Let me know. They'll produce this and put it out by Friday. Oh, great. Uh, I think it'll be fantastic. I, I, I'm yeah. looking forward to it. You're the first CBD uh, client or customer that we've had on here. So I think it actually will do really well. Uh, we've had six cannabis uh, folks on here. The last one was. Hey, who, you've talked to who, Giada. Uh, I think I saw. Did you talk to Giada? Yep. Yep. She was great. It was good to get a female. I'm going to look for another female. We had uh, Fife Symington last, uh, last episode with Cheese in Copper State. Interestingly enough, um, 
I think you and Fife have the right attitude about this business. So he's on the cannabis side and he's got, he just, he's got 80 acres. He had 40 acres under roof and he's, you know, doing, he has a couple of dispensaries, but he just believes that, you know, he believes it's going to get so competitive that you're going to have to grow high quality product for the lowest price. And yeah. not many Sorry, people no. want to admit that because they no. don't want that race. They're not, they don't want to take part in that race. And I like that, that you are already just like, Hey, we're, we got to get it to the, the shelves and the retailers where it's at a price point where everybody can buy. Cause I think that's the realistic approach to mm. you know this industry getting burst wide open. No one wants to do it. Go to a Walmart, go to a target, like look at what's on the shelves in the supplement industry. I mean, GNC is not a great example, but when you're looking at mass, you know, retailers, you just don't see high price products, Costco withstanding, but Costco is a different animal in and of itself. Right. You know, it's, and so, yeah, it's, it, I think a lot of people, I mean, part of it's just a lot of these companies are built max to be acquired. I mean, they're literally just, they raised money, put it all into marketing. They're trying to get their money back through an acquisition from a SPAC deal or something like that. Yeah. And I didn't want to dig into that because that's kind of over the head of most listeners. Like, but all they're doing is building a company to pump and dump, right? Give it to the yeah. next person. And, and there's no value. And what they're going to run into is when Wall Street's looking at a company for acquisition or otherwise, you're looking at points of distribution and number of retailers, because I can, they're, they're acquiring you to do your logistics better than you're doing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then they're acquiring you because they can do better sales and marketing. So they think, so it's just, it's interesting to see how few people are, are approaching this. I've not made many friends by doing this pricing thing we're doing, yeah. but it's certainly where, like, I know this is where it's going to be. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Like I said, if you listen to Fife, you know, he, he was in the ag business before in Mexico and he grew tomatoes for 20 oh, yeah. years. His dad was the governor of Arizona when I was you know, in the eighties. I think we're about the same age, but he's just, yeah, you know, he just believes the same thing. The highest price, the highest quality for the lowest price is going to win. And, uh, the people that are in denial about that, they're they're going to they're going to lose out. The seed costs a dollar, right? You got to water it, and you you got sun, right? <laughs> right. And one plant is equal to a pound of of pound and a half. Like it's just it it's math. But most people don't want to really look at it that way. Now, most people want to oh. look at it like it's. Uh, like it's fine wine and they're selling a really expensive wine when I, yeah. just, you know, I, I just don't think that there's going to be a huge market for this really ultra expensive, you know, high end. I mean, you're getting really high quality product for, for, you know, very, very uh, affordable now. Well, that's why I do that big bottle. So people don't get it and treat it like, Oh, three drops. Right. Like take it, like take a swig of it, like drink it, use it. Cause you'll feel a lot better for it if you do. Right, right, right. All so, right, man. Well, I'll keep in thank touch. You, Max. With you. You've been a wealth of information. Appreciate your time and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah. If you ever have any questions or, or anything you need, please always feel free to reach out. Happy awesome. to. Awesome. You've been All awesome. Right. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 right here on Star Worldwide Networks or wherever you get your podcasts.